Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast. That's heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, 98.7 in Santa Barbara, 93.7 in San Diego, 99.5 FM in Ridgecrest and China Lake. We're also heard up in Red Bluff and Redding, California on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO and Eugene's KEPW. In, uh, where am I? Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ, down in New Orleans on WHIV. Out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX. Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis-St. Paul's AM950, KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the Internet, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Deprogrammed Radio, Verdant Square Radio, and Detour Talk Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. Somewhat harried today because we barely made it onto the air live. Yes, someone stole my catalytic converter out of my Prius. Seriously. Yes, that really, really happened. That really actually happened and didn't find out until we were headed on over here today for the show. That's going to be a costly fix. Am I right? (laughs) Yes, it is. And apparently that's a thing that's been going around. So be aware. Well, I'm aware now. That's for sure. All right. Let's jump into uh, this actual program today. Uh, already running a bit behind. My apologies for that. Uh, and, and of course, with our disgraced former president out of office, you would think that things would not be quite as insane right now, uh, now that he's been replaced by a not insane, not criminal one. But things have begun to slow down just a bit. And yet we still have news weekends like this uh, that, you know, remain damn near as busy as they had been before that last guy left office and left the nation with countless crises to repair in order to, well, try to actually make America great. There's an idea. With the pandemic now waning a bit, the news remains grim. Nonetheless, the U.S. death toll from the coronavirus has now topped five hundred thousand half a million dead Americans for the record that is more than 200,000 more American deaths than all of our all of our combat deaths during World War II that half a million mark is a milestone underscoring the grave threat the virus still poses even as more people are vaccinated the virus has killed more than two and a half million people worldwide, according to data from Johns Hopkins University. More than one-fifth of all deaths worldwide, however, have occurred here in the U.S. 
despite the fact that we represent less than 5% of the global population. That, of course, is due in no small part to a wasted year by the previous administration denying the virus as little more than a hoax that would magically just go away on its own once the weather warmed up. And I should note, we are coming up on the one-year anniversary when that's what what, what Donald Trump actually told the American people one year ago. That it would be going away in just a few weeks, couple of months, you know, as soon as the weather warmed up. That before going on to hold super spreader events all over the country that exacerbated the problem on a virtually genocidal scale, which now brings the tally to more than half a million American deaths. That rivals the entire population, by the way, of Atlanta, Or Sacramento, California. Yes, it's as if the entire population of either of those cities had been entirely wiped out from the face of the earth over the past year. Now, on the upside, the average number of daily new cases has declined in recent days. Uh, We uh, the number fell below 100,000 daily Uh, infections on uh, confirmed on February 12. That was the first time in months that that happened. But as Joe Biden's new CDC director, Dr. Rochelle Walensky, noted on Sunday, we are still at about 100,000 cases a day, still at around 1,500 to 3,500 deaths per day, deaths per day. The cases are more than two and a half fold times what we saw over last summer, Walensky noted. So even though it's coming down, it's still really bad. It is still much worse, two and a half times worse than it was last summer. She said it's encouraging to see the trends coming down, but they're coming down from an extraordinarily high place. And distribution of the vaccine still remains bottlenecked in many places. That was made worse over the past week by the deadly winter storms across much of the South, particularly in Texas, where power and water was cut off to millions, along with vaccine distribution. Unfortunately, that only exacerbated the inequity for minority communities, both in battling the virus and simply trying to stay alive amid interruptions to essential services like heat and clean drinking water amid record low temperatures over the past week. We will be joined shortly, unless his catalytic converter also broke, by, uh, from, from uh, actually we'll be joined from Texas by Dr. Robert Bullard, known as the father of environmental justice to discuss the situation in the Lone Star State today and how, like climate change overall, it has disproportionately affected minority communities down there where hundreds of thousands are still under boil uh, boil water orders as of airtime today. Uh, Before we get there, however, some other uh, quick national news of note, uh, and it's a bit more encouraging for those of us seeking some accountability and, yes, the rule of law, Amid all of the various nightmares that we have been forced to live through over the past four or five years, the Supreme Court on Monday rejected a desperate last-ditch attempt by former President Donald J. Trump, you may have heard of him, to shield his financial records from New York investigators. The nation's high court issued a brief unsigned order requiring Trump's accountants to turn over his tax and other rec- tax documents and other records 
to prosecutors right now in New York. The court's order is a final and decisive defeat for Trump, who has gone to extraordinary lengths to keep his tax returns and related documents secret. There were no uh, dissents noted in the SCOTUS decision. So presumably nine to nothing, Donald, turn them over now. The case concerned the subpoena to Trump's accountants, Mazars USA, by the office of the Manhattan District Attorney, Cyrus Vance. The firm uh, Mazars has said it will comply with the final ruling of the courts, meaning that the grand jury should now finally receive the documents in very short order. Vance issued a three-word statement in response to the court's order, quote, the work continues. Under the grand jury secrecy rules, it would ordinarily be unclear when, if ever, the public would get to see the information from his tax returns unless it's included as evidence in a criminal charge brought against Trump. But the New York Times had already obtained more than two decades worth of tax return data uh, from Trump and his companies, and they published a series of articles, you'll recall, about them last year. Just to remind you, according to those articles, Trump had uh, sustained significant losses, owes enormous debts that he is personally obligated to repay up to some $400 million. And he has avoided paying federal in any any federal income taxes at all in 11 of the last 18 years. The Times examined and um, uh, they looked at uh, that. They saw that he paid just seven hundred and fifty dollars in both 2016 and 2017, the first year of his failed presidency. I'll bet you paid a lot more money than that in income taxes. I know I did. Yes, you did. Uh, anyway, Vance has long been seeking these returns, uh, covering eight years for a grand jury investigation of hush money payments and other financial transactions, looking into, uh, well, the disclosure that uh, Michael Cohen admitted and went to jail for con uh, concerning the money that he paid to Stormy Daniels, $130,000, in order to keep quiet about Stormy Daniels' claims that she had an affair with Trump an allegation which the former president still denies, though Cohen, after pleading guilty to the conspiracy to pay her this money, he went to prison. After both he and prosecutors had revealed that the conspiracy was directed by Donald Trump himself. He has so far, however, managed to escape similar accountability for directing the uh, uh, unreported payments just before the 2016 election. So there is a lot more to come from that case uh, with Vance. That is, of course, that, of course, is not the only uh, investigation currently underway into uh, Donald Trump. Other known investigations include the New York State Attorney General's civil probe of some of these same tax fraud issues uh, and the uh, Fulton County Atlanta Georgia prosecutor's criminal investigation into Trump's attempt to coerce election officials into fraudulent, fraudulently changing the results of the 2020 presidential election after his loss to Joe Biden in the state. And speaking of election fraud and lies about election fraud, uh, one more uh, related story here that you may enjoy before we get to our guest today, I think. The newest $1.3 billion lawsuit filed today begins this way. 
After hitting the jackpot with Donald Trump's endorsement for My Pillow, and after a million-dollar bet on Fox News ads had paid out handsome returns, Michael Lindell exploited another chance to boost sales, marketing My Pillow to people who would tune in and attend rallies to hear Lindell tell the quote big lie that Dominion had stolen the 2020 election. As when My Pillow previously faced legal action for deceptive marketing campaigns, Lindell knew there was no real quote evidence supporting his claims. But Lindell, a talented salesman and former professional card counter, I had no idea about that. Did you know that part, Des? That he was a card no, counter? But yeah. somehow I'm not surprised. I know, right? Uh, Lindell, the lawsuit says, sells the lie to this day because the lie sells pillows. My Pillows defamatory marketing campaign, they allege, with promo codes like Fight for Trump and, quote, QAnon, has increased My Pillow sales by 30 to 40 percent and continues duping people into redirecting their election lie outrage into pillow purchases. Well, I can think of a few worse ways for them to uh, redirect their ginned-up outrage in any event. Uh, But yes, Dominion Voting Systems on Monday filed another defamation lawsuit, this time against Mike Lindell, the chief executive of MyPillow, arguing that Lindell has refused to stop repeating false claims that the company's voting machines were manipulated to rig the 2020 election against President Donald Trump. As in their previous defamation suits against Team Trump, attorneys uh, Rudy Giuliani and uh, Sidney Powell, those same suits, uh, just like those, Dominion is now again seeking more than $1.3 billion from Mike Lindell, charging that he contributed to a, quote, viral disinformation campaign about Dominion on social media, in broadcast interviews, at public pro-Trump rallies, and in a two-hour documentary about election fraud, supposedly, entitled Absolute Proof. He created that two-hour documentary and then paid to air it on One America News. Now, by the way, I had not had time to previously sit through this cheesy two-hour so-called documentary uh, that Lindell recently paid uh, One America News to air for 12 hours straight on their MAGA propaganda outlet, even though uh, they had the the, the uh, station itself, One American News, had recanted their own claims about election fraud and Dominion after being threatened with similar lawsuits for their false statements about the company. But I had noted, um, I hadn't seen the two-hour documentary, but I, saw, I noticed that uh, Lindell had posted a 30-minute version of this, uh, quote, absolute proof documentary over the weekend, and I spent 30 minutes of my life watching that, at least, over the weekend. By the way, he calls it a trailer. Thir- <laughs> a 30-minute yeah, trailer? Yeah, that's the, that's the trailer for absolute proof. Uh, but anyway, spoiler alert, his absolute proof documentary actually proves nothing at all, at least from the 30-minute trailer, which you would think where he actually says for the last 15 minutes of this thing, that's it, you see it, that's the absolute proof that this election was stolen. 
So after, you know, sort of rattling off a whole bunch of long ago debunked claims, again, in the trailer, uh, about thousands of dead people voting in the 2020 election uh, or uh, people who were not registered somehow being allowed to cast votes, all of it is nonsense. All of it. Uh, after that, the, uh, uh, the so-called absolute proof is a list of Internet IP addresses from around the world. Now, I'm saving you 20, uh, two hours. Actually, I'm saving you at least 30 minutes. If you want to go all in with that two-hour version, that's up to you. But it's a, it's a list of Internet IP addresses from around the world, and I'm not even sure where the list comes from, uh, but of purported attempts to access computers at various state and county elections offices. With each of these thousands of attempts that he claims were, were successful, he, with each of these attempts, he says there's a number of votes that they claim were stolen from Donald Trump somehow in the bargain, in state after state. And he'll show an IP address and which computer they access and then say 2,700 votes were taken from Donald Trump. Now, they don't explain in each of these claims how the votes would be stolen with a computer. And that's a problem, given that most of the votes in question are actually on hand-marked paper ballots that could simply be recounted by human beings to find out if the hand count results matched up with the reported results that were supposedly changed by Dominion uh, voting computers or tabulators or something somehow. What we do know is that where those paper ballots actually were hand counted, for example, the entire state of Georgia and in the two largest counties in Wisconsin, in Milwaukee and Dane, where Donald Trump also asked for recounts, where they did that, there is no such difference between what the computer reported and what was actually marked on the paper ballots. So while they're claiming all of these votes disappeared with computers, the actual evidence, the paper ballots, at least across the entire state of Georgia and in two of the largest counties in Wisconsin, the numbers when they hand count the ballots match up with the numbers on the computer as if it is, I don't know, completely untrue what Mike Lindell is saying in his stupid documentary. So so I think what we have absolute proof of is that someone is fooling Mike Lindell big time. Apparently that ain't hard. <laughs> uh, he did uh, he, he didn't speak um, to to well the fact that these ballots were actually hand counted in Georgia and in uh, two counts, counties in Wisconsin. Well, of course not, because that wouldn't support his bonkers theory. Neither did he speak to the fact that, well, if this is true, why didn't the Trump campaign ask for recounts in all of these various counties, which would have proven the that would have been, yes, the absolute proof that the election was stolen. And he's got all of these, you know, these line items from IP addresses in in uh, in Georgia. And yet um, when they hand counted and actually they counted three times in Georgia, they they did their regular count with a the computer. Then they hand counted in an audit statewide. Then uh, Donald Trump asked for a uh, recount and they did a machine count. So it was counted three different times, once by hand, twice by machine. And every time, the results pretty much lined up. And didn't they also do a signature matching? 
they did a signature matching. So yes. they did all the ways that they could check. But that was a separate issue from what oh, Lindell is okay. claiming <laughs> in this particular case. The 115-page complaint was filed in a federal court in D.C. It alleges that Lindell used falsehoods about Dominion to promote my pillow to um, <clears throat> to fellow Trump supporters and names both Lindell and his company as defendants. Uh, outlining a bunch of instances in which Lindell used his appearances on these various right-wing outlets to also hawk his products. For example, on January 16, Lindell uh, uh, claimed without evidence that Dominion voting machines were, quote, built to cheat. That in an interview on some uh, right-wing broadcasting network. According to the complaint, the host then urged, quote, Everyone watching right now to go to MyPillow.com, and he offered a code for 66% off. We have 110 products now, he said, repeating his promotional code for that discount. Dominion had sent letters to Lindell warning that he was going to put himself in trouble by spreading lies about the company. Lindell told the Washington Post that he was, quote, very happy to hear that Dominion had sued him. He said, now I can get to the evidence faster. It's going to be amazing, he said. He added that he plans to uh, continue releasing more movies, more documentaries about election fraud. Okay, Mike. The uh, suit against uh, Lindell, of course, is the latest salvo in Dominion's legal battle to recover its reputation, which has been uh, badly tarred by election fraud falsehoods endorsed by Trump and amplified on that uh, right-wing, many of these right-wing outlets. In addition to this suit... And the two also for $1.3 billion against uh, Rudy Giuliani and Sidney Powell, another voting machine company named Smartmatic, which only does business in one U.S. jurisdiction, specifically here in Los Angeles County. Uh, they also uh, recently filed a lawsuit. They filed Fox News along with several of their hosts, Lou Dobbs, Maria Bartiromo, Janine Pirro. Is that Pyro? Either way. Uh, yeah. Uh, and yes, they also included Powell and Giuliani as well in that three point seven billion dollar suit uh, that after Team Trump had relied in part on exclusive reporting from, yes, yours truly from the Brad blog back in 2010, documenting the purchase by Dominion of a company once owned by Smartmatic, which was then somehow twisted and bastardized and reimagined as some form of holy grail for these Trump fraudsters trying to pretend that they had some form of evidence to prove that Dominion and or Smartmatic and or Venezuela and Hugo Chavez, who died seven years ago, were actually uh, behind this uh, apparently successful effort to steal the election from Donald Trump for Joe Biden. Dominion has has sent a retraction demands or preservation notices often precursors to litigation, to dozens of individuals and businesses, including Fox News, which they have not yet sued. But if the $3.7 billion Smartmatic suit against Fox tells us anything, Dominion could actually file against them for much, much more, since they were arguably much, much more harmed by all of this than Smartmatic was. So, yeah, we will continue our uh, our coverage of these suits as they continue to be filed and as they move forward. Ironically enough, given all the many years that we've spent actually reporting on the failures of many of these very same companies and their crappy, easily hacked, often failed electronic voting and tabulation systems, which also, ironically, 
the Team Trump folks failed to actually exploit when making their failed cases. They could have used, there was legitimate claims you could have made against these companies. Instead, they chose to make up nonsense. Too bad. Uh, of course, the cases that they did make, poorly or otherwise, speaks to how dangerous these systems actually are, in that even if, even if and when they work accurately and securely, it's virtually impossible to know, for the public to know if they did, which we have long argued on this show and at bradblog.com poses a huge danger to democracy itself as we are now very much seeing played out before our eyes. We have long warned that whether whether these systems work correctly, if the public can't know that they have, because it's all counted inside a computer and it's very rare that anybody bothers to hand count these paper ballots where they exist, if the public can't know that, that's a danger to our democracy that can and now obviously has been exploited by these cretins like Donald Trump and Rudy Giuliani and Sidney Powell and, yes, the My Pillow guy, pretending that they have, quote, absolute proof of stolen elections. Well, they don't. But these systems are so difficult for the public to oversee, it's easy for these guys to pretend that they had an election stolen. That is what we have long been warning about. Even when they work, they don't work. And speaking of things that we have long warned about, climate change continues to wreak havoc across the planet and over the past week, specifically in the South, specifically in Texas. And as climate scientists and activists have also long warned, as bad and dangerous as it is getting, it is even worse for communities of color on the front lines of our climate crisis. We will... Head down to Texas right now for the latest on that still ongoing disaster after a quick break here. And we will be joined by the father of environmental justice, Dr. Robert Bullard, live from Houston, I believe. I'm Brad Friedman, and you are listening to The Bradcast. <laughs> What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Justice. That would be nice. In his prepared remarks before the Senate Judiciary Committee on Monday, Joe Biden's nominee for Attorney General Judge Merrick Garland focused on prioritizing policing and civil rights to combat racial discrimination, charging that America doesn't yet, quote, have equal justice. Tying that to uh, tying that charge to his hopes of confronting the rise of extremist violence and domestic terror threats and restoring the department's political independence after years of controversial decisions 
and turmoil. He also explained how this systemic racism built into our justice system also disproportionately affects communities of color on other matters as well, including the deadly threats presented by our worsening climate crisis. The Civil Rights Act of 1957 created the Department's Civil Rights Division with a mission to uphold the civil and constitutional rights of all Americans, particularly some of the most vulnerable members of our society. That mission remains urgent because we do not yet have equal justice. Communities of color and other minorities still face discrimination in housing, in education, in employment, and in the criminal justice system. And they bear the brunt of the harm caused by pandemic, pollution, and climate change. Thank you, Judge Garland. At the same time as he was testifying in the Senate today, millions of Texas, uh, Texans were waking up without safe drinking water on Monday after a week of record cold and power outages in the Lone Star State and as state officials sought to ramp up bottled water distribution and to try to calm residents whose electricity bills have spiked after a severe winter storm battered the state last week. As of 8 a.m. on Monday, nearly 8.8 million people were still under boil water notices, which were issued after days of record low temperatures uh, damaged the state's water infrastructure. That, at least, is a drop from 10 million people who did not have safe drinking water on Sunday. While boil notices are beginning to be rescinded, 120,000 still have no water service at all. They ain't got nothing to boil. In Houston, officials said a boil water notice that had been in place since Wednesday of last week was finally lifted after tests found the city's tap water met regulatory standards. What? You mean Texas? Hey, Texas has some regulatory standards, Desi Doyen, for clean water. (laughs) Not a few. Who knew? Anyway, uh, that's good. Uh, That's some good news. Uh, About a third of San Antonio's one and a half million people remained under a boil water notice, however, according to the perhaps ironically named Texas Commission on Environmental Quality. Higher temperatures spread across the south uh, on Saturday, finally bringing a bit of relief to the region that faces a challenging cleanup and expensive repairs from so many days of extremely cold and widespread power outages, particularly in Texas, where a deregulated privatized electricity grid meant that the private companies who run the system did not bother to winterize it because, you know, it might cut into corporate profits. The weekend thaw produced burst pipes throughout the region, adding to the list of woes from severe conditions that were uh, blamed for more than 70 deaths in several states, at least half of them now reported in Texas. Deaths attributed to the weather including uh, include a man at the uh, at an Abilene health care facility where the lack of water pressure made his medical treatment impossible. Officials also reported deaths from hypothermia, including homeless people and those inside buildings with no power or heat. U.S. Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Democrat from New York, she uh, helped raise more than $5 million toward relief this weekend. She was soliciting help for a Houston food bank. That's one of 12 Texas organizations that uh, she was helping out with uh, with those funds. 
Texas Governor Greg Abbott met Saturday with legislators from both parties to discuss energy prices as Texans face massive spikes in their electric bills after wholesale energy prices skyrocketed while power plants remained offline. Many Texans who chose to pay variable wholesale rates for their power in previous years, rather than choosing a fixed rate, well, they learn they are being charged thousands of dollars for the spiking price of electricity on the spot market, which Texas allows consumers to gamble on, I guess. Some homeowners, incredibly enough, now owe more than $10,000 for a couple of days' worth of power. As of Saturday, 1,445 public water systems in Texas had reported disrupted operations. That was up from 1,300 reporting issues on Friday afternoon, so we are still learning where the water is and isn't safe to drink. Happily, however, Texas electric grid operators say electricity transmission has now mostly returned uh, to normal after the historic snowfall and single-digit temperatures created a surge in demand that, uh, that buckled the system. But uh, as, as these disruptive climate change-related disasters uh, follow their usual pattern, it is minority communities who are first and hardest hit. The Hill noted last week that low-income families have been especially endangered by the loss of power, particularly non-white households, which have already been disproportionately affected by the pandemic. In Texas, black and Hispanic families are more than twice as likely as white households to live under the poverty line, according to the U.S. Census Bureau. Many are living without sufficient insulation to protect themselves from from the cold, and others are living without shelter entirely. And amid the ongoing coronavirus pandemic, which has disproportionately hurt black, indigenous, and Latino communities, traditional emergency responses were said to be failing. No surprise. These communities are also victims of environmental racism, including redlining, which forced poor non-white people into neighborhoods that are now suffering the brunt of climate change and pollution. Dr. Robert Bullard, a professor at Texas Southern University, told The New York Times about all of this, quote, whether it's flooding from severe weather events like hurricanes or it's something like this severe cold, the history of our response to disasters is that these communities are hit first and have to suffer the longest. Joining us now is Robert Bullard, who wrote us over the weekend to say, quote, it's a holy mess here in the Lone Star State. In addition to serving as a distinguished professor at Texas Southern University, a publicly a public historically black university in Houston, Dr. Bullard served as the Ware Professor of Sociology and Director of the Environmental Justice Resource Center at Clark Atlanta University. He's also an award-winning author of some 18 books on all of this, and he's co-chair of the National Black Environmental Justice Network and has come to be known as the father of environmental justice. Dr. Bullard, uh, we are honored to have you here today on the broadcast, sir. Glad to be with you. Glad I have power. <laughs> uh, you do. I'm glad. Yeah. I'm glad to hear it. You got uh, water down there as well? Yeah, I have water. Uh, I have a water pressure. I have heat, and uh, things are gradually uh, moving back to some sense of 
making sense, but it's still a mess. It's how, still a holy mess. Were you? Uh, how long were you without uh, water and or power down there? And uh, uh, did you get socked with one of those ten thousand uh, dollar electric bills, Bob? Well, no, I was not so lucky to get one of those bills, but I did uh, uh, have to suffer with uh, no power and no lights, no heat uh, for two and a half days, mm. and it was cold. Uh, it got down into uh, 12, 13 degrees, and my mm. house uh, was about, I think the, the coldest it got was like 39, something like that. That's cold in Houston. Yeah. It's like in L.A. It's, it gets down into... <laughs> 30s, yeah. uh, 20s, that's cold. No, when it, gets, that. when it gets down to the low 60s, we start complaining <laughs> here in Los Angeles. That's true. Uh, that's true. I used to live in L.A. <laughs> you know what it's like. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, listen, I, I want to talk about how this storm has exposed, once again, how communities of color are disproportionately affected by extreme weather, and they're often, you know, shortchanged in recovery efforts. But as you heard uh, Merrick Garland there today uh, reference it, uh, and Joe Biden and really his whole team has been discussing environmental and racial justice uh, for some time now, happily. Uh, what what actually is, if you could just sort of help us define, what is environmental justice as you have come to help define it in your work? Well, environmental justice basically embraces the principle that all communities and all people are entitled to equal protection of our environmental laws, housing, transportation, energy, uh, issues around uh, the, the, the way that the laws, uh, environmental laws and other uh, laws that intersect uh, health and the environment are, are carried out equally. It's not rocket science. It's a lot of times it's not even science. It's more political science. So environmental justice basically uh, uh, looks at the way that uh, the environment and the regulations somehow are, are not uh, carried out in a way that would make for equal protection, which is uh, uh, guaranteed under the Constitution of the United States. Now, uh, the, the outlet Utility Dive reported last week that, quote, as critical infrastructure like hospitals are often in wealthier communities, it appears many poor and minority areas suffered a disproportionate share of the outages that we have seen over the past week. Um, how are you, uh, so far anyway, seeing environmental injustice play out amid this Texas power crisis? Or is it, or is it too early to really know the full extent at this time? Well, you know, what those of us who've been researching this for the last four decades uh can, can really predict with a, a, a degree of certainty that those communities that, that uh, existed uh, before the storm, that had pre-existing conditions uh, that were impacted by being uh, areas where, where redlining occurred, uh, areas where there's no infrastructure that, that, that comes up to par, areas that have uh, historically been denied those amenities that would make them healthy, resilient, and sustainable, uh, these are the same communities get, that get hit hard all the time by pollution from the industries east side. Uh, they get hard mm. by, hit hard by uh, flooding east side. They get hit hard by COVID east side. And so when you talk about the power grid and, and the infrastructure, you're talking basically uh, this whole issue of which community is most likely to get the worst of the worst. And you don't need to have a PhD to figure it out. And that's what's unfolding before our eyes. We'll hit We'll have the studies, we'll have the empirical data, but people on the ground uh, uh, will tell you 
that they have been out the longest. You know, the rolling blackout, mm-hmm. you know, some people were out three hours. There's a difference between three hours and three days. Mm-hmm. And if you map the three hours and you map, and we have great tools today, mm-hmm. GIS, we can map where the three days were. And um, you can figure, uh, pretty much figure out who, who was uh, out for three days. Mm-hmm. You know, going back to, uh, I had mentioned redlining that has sort of helped establish this so many years ago. I, I suspect it still continues to to a certain extent, but it's certainly, you know, back several decades ago when minorities were sort of moved into a certain area of town. Um, and then, and actually, I don't know if it's before or after, but it seems like it tends to be the areas with the worst pollution, closest to the refineries and so forth. Uh, is is that why is that one of the reasons that uh, the uh, these uh, minority communities seem to be the hardest hit just by uh, dint of where they live and the industrial activity that takes place uh, in those areas? OK, let me break it down. I'm a professor, but I can make it simple. I'm a great teacher. Thank you. I if could you use look it. At the, America is segregated, and so is pollution. And pollution historically has followed the path of least resistance. And if you look at racial redlining that occurred uh, 100 years ago, we're talking the 20s, mm-hmm. that racial footprint can be seen in the 2020s, whether it's Urban Heat Island, the neighborhoods that were redlined in the 20s, 1920s, are the hottest areas today because no no trees, no green canopy, no kinds of mm. um, uh, ways to, uh, to to somehow mitigate the heat. It's the same areas. Redlining uh, also uh, is showing up in the disparate impact of where COVID uh, deaths are located. And so you can see that the the physical environment, the built environment, is definitely related to quality of life. The mm. best predictor of health and well-being in this country is zip code. You tell me your zip code, I can tell you how healthy you are. And so, so the, there's no difference when, we come, when it comes to this, um, uh, this storm, this power outage, and water. I mean, who has who, who, the infrastructure in mm-hmm. terms of the worst infrastructure for getting water to people, where people are, don't have access to a car. And, you know, if you have the setup so that, well, you're going to um, you, you got to boil water. How can you boil water if you don't have electricity? If you look at the areas that, that mm-hmm. stayed out longest uh, with no electricity and no transportation, they can't boil water. They can't uh, deal with COVID, wash your hands. And so that's the how you, what we call cascading uh, kinds of challenges, cascading threats that are just pushed into certain communities. And that's the double whammy, the triple whammy, and uh, the the medical folks call it comorbidity, but I, we call it just you get hit with every damn thing. <laughs> All right, Professor, let me let me try another one on you then. What is energy? What is energy poverty? Okay, here's another one. Energy poverty is nothing more than a form of insecurity. You don't have enough money to pay your. As the old folks would say, your light bill. Mm-hmm. You, you get this big bill, mm-hmm. and you gotta you gotta figure out how you're gonna spend your money. You gonna is it gonna be food, housing, uh, transportation, uh, medical, whatever. And the fact that a disproportionate share of poor people and people of color spend a larger portion of their income on housing and energy. And so if you have a if you live in an apartment or a house that's not weatherized, that it's not energy efficient. 
then you're wasting a lot of energy. You're paying for something that you're not getting. Mm. And it's the energy, if you, and we're going to see a lot of energy insecurity and an energy poverty after, you know, in March when folks get these bills. Mm -hmm. And the fact that, you know, it, if your bill was, was $150 ordinarily and it goes up to $300, that's doubling. What is that $150 coming out of the budget of a, of a low-income family that's on a fixed income? Well, for somebody who's making $150,000 and your bill doubles from 200 to 400, you just pay the bill and keep going. Mm -hmm. That's the insecurity. That's the poverty that we're talking about. And, and it means that energy poverty is also meaning uh, when it gets cold that people are, are trying to skimp on, on, on uh, their heating and keep it low. But if it gets so cold, you got to pump it up. And that means that it's got to be, you got to pay for that on the other side. And that next month, Mm -hmm. uh, energy bill. And it means that probably you're going to have to skimp on food or medical uh, services or housing. You might mm -hmm. miss a house note. Mm -hmm. Well, we, uh, this is, as I said, the cascading effect, how these things intersect, which means that this storm will hit, even if the lights go out in every neighborhood in this city, the communities that, that where the lights go out and where they're limited in terms of their ability to bounce back when the lights come back on, when the water come back on, when the heat come back on, all of that, they're still going to be struggling with, with, um, with, a, with a challenge, with a disaster, and the disaster that will unfold when they get these big bills, yeah. when the shutoffs come. And when people are saying, well, you know, I, I, I can't pay this. I mean, you get your, you, you get your light. Now, it's like 70 degrees uh, yesterday and today. But who knows? It might, we might get another uh, cold spell. Yeah. That's the insecurity of, of not having resources, not having money to, to, uh, to plan for these kinds of spikes or these kinds of emergencies. Gotcha. I'm speaking with uh, Dr. Robert Bullard, a uh, distinguished professor at Texas Southern University and the co-chair of the National Black Environmental Justice Network. Uh, Dr. Bullard, what can or should be done now, specifically in Texas? We can broaden this out in a second, but given so many of the disasters of late, not just uh, this past week's holy mess of a storm, uh, but so many recent hurricanes and, and pipeline and refinery disasters, uh, you know, what can and should specifically be done in Texas to begin addressing this mess in your home state. And there's a lot of them, even before we get to the uh, racial inequity of it all. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, w what specifically can be done to begin dealing with, uh, with, with that part of the equation? Well, I think it's important that people understand that Texas is, pri you know, prides itself as being the Lone Star State. But this, uh, this, this uh, 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 severe weather event, uh, the the winter storm and the power outages and lots of water has shown us that we are the alone star state. <laughs> our our energy policy as go it alone, get keep the federal government out. Uh, we basically are are an island uh, in of itself. Doesn't make any sense, and it's never made any sense. We need to rejoin the United States, rejoin the grid, and deal with the fact that it costs money to winterize, you know, the, our energy system. And because they're planning on a cheat, they're gambling, and they lost. And so it means that moving to a transition to uh, a clean energy, renewable energy. And these folks, you know, our let officials had the nerve, had the gall to say, oh, it's renewables. Yes. It is all these windmills that yeah. caused the problem. And then yeah. they had to backtrack and back it up because the facts 
you know, kind of like was all in their face. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we have to we have to talk about uh, in Texas, we're going to have to really rethink how we have privatized the energy to the point where it's a bit people gamble, they gambled and lost. We have to have a, 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 a energy system that will allow for us to move away from, you know, these fossil fuels mm-hmm. and deal with climate change and deal with climate justice and deal with all these other impacts and deal with in a realistic way and not just bury our heads in the sand and think somehow that Texas can go it alone. We cannot go it alone. And right now the federal government, uh, that's, that's the sugar daddy right now because they're sending money down here to bail us out for, for, for not doing what we should have done, you know, um, way back in 1991 and before that, 20 years before that. There are lessons that have never been learned, and they're smart people in Texas. They just need to kind of like uh, push the envelope further and, 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 uh, and demand that we uh, uh, address this energy justice issue. Oh, I, I... If, we, if we protect the most vulnerable when it comes to energy, we protect us all. Oh, I, we, allow, I, we allow the poorest to kind of like uh, 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 freeze or drown. That puts everybody at risk. When we don't protect the, the, the most vulnerable when it comes to COVID, we, we place everybody at risk. So, so, so it's, it's simple to me. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure you can't be telling the truth, uh, Professor. I'm sure that <laughs> Texas is not accepting any of that socialist government money from Washington, D.C. to help yeah. get them out of their, this crisis, right? They have opened up. They have opened up their big uh, wallets and say, "Put the money in the bank and uh-huh. put it in here." And never mind socialism. Never mind one of you know uh, no federal whatever. No, that the dollars are green, and we need the money because this is a disaster and it's a humanitarian you know uh, uh, a catastrophe yeah. unfolding, and we need federal support and we need to be working with the federal government yeah they're it's just that simple it's not even uh it's not even a, a question of whether or not this needs to happen they this sure are happy yes. to take that socialist money when they're in trouble aren't they <laughs> yes, uh yes, last yes. question for you uh doctor and i've really got just about 30 seconds here so this is completely yes. an unfair question at this point but uh you know we now have a new administration who actually seems interested in this issue at all uh, and uh, both climate change and climate justice. Uh, do you have confidence that the Biden administration fully appreciates uh, your concerns at this point? I, I have uh, a lot of confidence because these issues were on the ballot in November, and we won, and we won uh, in a way that uh, on policies and, and platforms that bring justice at the center, not a footnote, but a headline. Environmental justice, climate justice, economic justice, racial justice, energy justice, health justice. Justice is the headline. And you think uh, Joe Biden gets it and is going to turn those slogans into actual justice for us all? Well, we're going to make sure of that, you know, those of us who work on the ground and who, those of us who have, you know, the ear of the administration, we're going to make sure that there's a word called accountability and we got, you know, we got our own metrics, we got our own measures, we got our own way of saying, okay, this needs to happen, you know, within the 100 days and next, next, next you know, 20 days, 50, mm-hmm. 50 days. We can count. And we know who pushed uh, Biden across the finish line. You know, South Carolina, mm-hmm. you know, come on now, those two Senate seats in, in, Georgia. in Georgia, we know yeah. what, what, you know, what time it is. And so, no, no, we're not playing. This is, this is serious business. 
and we are not for the Democrats taking uh, folks. And I, you know, I have been black most of my life, and we're not serious. Uh, we're serious about not having this administration take black people for, gl- for granted. And I'm only just talking, you know, in that context right now. I, I, because we know that there are things that need to happen, and it needs to happen quickly because there's so many converging threats that's impacting us, including voter suppression in terms of trying to uh, 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 dismantle Obamacare, mm-hmm. all those things, the health, the environment. I mean, all those things are converging. So, so we, are on, we are on guard. We are on watch. And, uh, and we're not going to sleep on this. Glad to hear it. At keep up that fight. I'll be fighting there, right there with you, sir. Dr. Robert D. Bullard is uh, known as the father of environmental justice. He is the now a distinguished professor at Texas Southern University, a publicly, a public historically black university in Houston. Uh, he's also co-chair of the National Black Environmental Justice Network, which you can get more information about at NBEJN. Dot com, And you can also uh, check out Dr. Bob at his website and buy a bunch of his books, drrobertbullard.com. And you can find him on the Twitters at Dr. Bob Bullard. Uh, uh, doctor, great speaking with you today. Really appreciate you joining us. Sorry we were running a little bit late, uh, but I hope you'll uh, join us again sometime in the near future, sir. Fantastic. Thanks for having me. Thank you. All right, quick break, and we are back with a a closing minute or two. Everything's running behind today. I'm Brad Friedman, and you are listening to The Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the broadcast. But we need your help to do it. If you enjoy the show and or get something from it, please give back a bit, if you can, by visiting us at bradblog.com donate. Your support helps Desi and me continue to bring you real, independent, progressive news five days a week over your public airwaves. We simply can't do it without your help, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today to make a one-time donation or, even better, automated monthly support. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you can rest easy knowing that we'll be here every day making sense of it all, or at least trying to. That's bradblog.com donate, and thanks. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Okay. I get it. I get it. We're running late, aren't we? <laughs> yes, yeah, we are. Yeah. Sorry about that. Uh, blame the thief who stole our catalytic, catalytic converter. converter. Apparently, Priuses are big targets. <sighs> oh, now you tell me. I didn't know either. Thanks. All right. Anyway, so we do got to get out. Uh, sorry about that. Everything's a little bit off. But we're always a little bit off here on the broadcast, and we thank you for joining us for it. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doy, and to my board operator, Federico Garcia. To my guest, of course, Dr. Robert Bullard of Texas Southern University and the National Black Environmental Justice Network. And to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It's always an honor. It's always appreciated. If you missed any portion of today's show, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. You can drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the Brad Blog. 
You'll find me there until we find you here next time, hopefully tomorrow, because I had a whole bunch of other stuff I wanted to get to today. We will get to it on tomorrow's broadcast, and I hope you're there with us. Uh, that's it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. <laughs>